Thank you for listening to this sermon from Seven Springs Presbyterian Church. If you want to learn more about us, please find us on Facebook or visit us at sevenspringspresbyterian.com. O gracious and most merciful Father, we give you thanks and praise that you have revealed to us your very word, that we might be able to have the hope which is within us. And we pray this very morning that you would fill us with your spirit, that we would have the eyes of our hearts enlightened, that we may be able to know what the hope in which we have been called, and what the riches of your glorious inheritance is to those who are yours, the saints. That immeasurable greatness of glory and your power for us who believe, according to the work of your great might, that you would receive all power, honor, and glory, which is due your name. We pray this in Christ's blessed and holy name. Amen. Hear now the word, Lord, from Exodus chapter 9, verses 22 to 35. This is God's holy, inerrant, infallible, life-giving word. Please take heed how you hear. Then the Lord said to Moses, Stretch out your hand towards heaven so that there may be hail in all the land of Egypt, on man and beast and every plant of the field and in the land of Egypt. Then Moses stretched out his staff towards heaven and the Lord sent thunder and hail And fire ran down to the earth, and the Lord rained hail upon the land of Egypt. There was hail and fire flashing continually in the midst of the hail. Very heavy hail, such as as had never been in all the land of Egypt since it became a nation. The hail struck down everything that was in the field in all the land of Egypt, both man and beast. And the hail struck down every plant of the field and broke every tree of the field. Only in the land of Goshen, where the people of Israel were, there was no hail. Then Pharaoh sent and called Moses and Aaron and said to them, This time I have sinned. The Lord is in the right, and I and my people are in the wrong. Plead with the Lord that there has been enough of God's thunder and hail. I will let you go, and you shall stay no longer. Moses said to him, As soon as I have gone out of the city, I will stretch out my hands to the Lord. The thunder will cease and there will be no more hail, so that you may know that the earth is the Lord's. But as for you and your servants, I know that you do not yet fear the Lord God. The flax and the barley were struck down, for the barley was in the ear and the flax was in the bud. But the wheat and the emer were not struck down, for they are late in coming up. So Moses went out of the city from Pharaoh and stretched out his hands to the Lord. And the thunder and the hail ceased, and the rain no longer poured upon the earth. But when Pharaoh saw that the rain and the hail and the thunder had ceased, he sinned yet again and hardened his heart, he and his servants. So the heart of Pharaoh was hardened, and he did not let the people of Israel go just as the Lord had spoken through Moses. The grass withers and the flowers fade, but the word of our Lord will stand forever. We're in the midst of the seventh sign and wonder, the longest portion of narrative in the first nine signs and wonders in the plagues of Exodus. And although this plague or sign and wonder sounds somewhat mild, hail can be drastically devastating would be a hard time to be an Egyptian insurance broker during this time in the midst of the plagues. 
the claims about the decrease in property value because of the smell of rotting fish, the decaying frogs, the infestation of flies and gnats, and great for Egyptian pest control services, but not for those who live in the field and around. Then came death and disease upon the whole land. As a warning went out on the Egyptian weather service, warning the impending storm they were to come to instruct people to get inside and to bring their livestock under cover. And those who feared the Lord did so. But those who did not fear the Lord did not listen. The sky darkened as the clouds rolled in, bringing deep growling thunder, lightning that descended from the heavens, striking the ground and causing fires to be able to spread. But the devastating part of this storm is the hail that brings death and destruction. Although we have no statistics in the Bible about what these hail looks like, in recent years we've been able to see how drastic hail can be even leading to death. The largest hailstone ever recorded was just over two pounds in Bangladesh in 1986. In 1888, in India, hailstones the size of oranges and cricket balls, which are smaller than baseballs, killed a total of 246 people and 1,600 cattle. The National Weather Service explains that any hailstone over an inch in diameter is considered severe. Although it's hard to be able to accurately uh, collect all this information, hail is not spherical and uniform in shape, but just under half an inch, larger than a pea but smaller than a marble, a hailstone could reach up to 20 miles per hour. But a hailstone of three inches, a large apple, can reach speeds of 110 miles per hour. It doesn't take long to be able to see how death and construction can fall on the whole land of Egypt. And as that Egyptian insurance broker, Jacob from State Farm, sat in his office wishing that he had chosen maybe a different career, he hears the loud thuds of hail and the enormous hailstones as they fall to the ground. And we read about the destruction that comes across in verse 25. The hail struck down everything that was in the field and in the land of Egypt, both man and beast. The hail struck down every plant of the field and broke every tree of the field. Now we understand in verses 31 and 32 that not everything was destroyed. In the tenth plague, in the next plague, the pharaohs will, uh, Pharaoh's servants will explain that all the signs and wonders in the eighth plague have ruined Egypt. Egypt is on the brink of despair. And the Lord has been showing and making himself known to Pharaoh with the patience and power so the nations would be able to know who the Lord is. This once in a thousand year storm has, just, has done just that. Pharaoh knows the power and the name of the Lord. And today the second portion of this sign and wonder is where we'll be spending the rest of our time. Particularly, how does Pharaoh then respond to such a great sign and wonder? 
And this one is different than the plagues that we have seen thus far. What comes out of Pharaoh's mouth in verses 27 and 28 is absolutely astonishing. He sends and calls for Moses and Aaron, and he says to them, This time I have sinned. The Lord is right, and I and my people are in the wrong. Plead with the Lord, for there has been enough of God's thunder and hail. I will let you go, and you shall stay no longer. Finally, Pharaoh repents. Not merely does he say he lets the people go, he says that he has sinned. This glorious confession on the surface. He acknowledges his sins, he acknowledges the Lord is right, that he and the people are wrong, and he promises to be able to let the people go. Finally, after seven signs and wonders, wonders, Pharaoh's heart has been softened. He has repented of his sin, and he is going to let the people go. The simple request that Moses was asking on behalf of the Lord, let my people go that they might be able to worship. He said in the past they can go, but not too far. He's put conditions. But this is the first time that we see him truly and utterly say that he has sinned. He changed his mind once respite came. The second sign, he promised to let them go with conditions in chapter 8. However, this time is different. In that Pharaoh speaks of his sin and also the Lord been right. On the surface, we would read these verses and say this is true repentance. He has said all the right words. But we know there are more plagues coming. We know that this end of the verse ends with that refrain, and Pharaoh hardened his heart. So what can we learn about this response from Pharaoh? We looked at the last time of God's patience, that he patiently shows forth his wrath to people that they might be able to repent. But that patience comes to an end. The Lord is slow to anger. does not mean that he never shows forth his wrath. God's patience is not everlasting. There is a time when his anger does actually come. But this patience is to lead to repentance. And here we see Pharaoh's repentance. But what's wrong with this? The first thing that we see that is wrong with this is there's no fear of the Lord. Moses rightly understands what is happening here. This is not the first time that Pharaoh has made a promise that he will not fulfill. Moses tells Pharaoh that he will plead to the Lord to get him to stop the hail and the thunder. But he clearly states in verse 30 that I know that you do not yet fear the Lord. How does he know this? Does he have some form of divine revelation that we're not told about? Actually, we're told that some of Pharaoh's servants did, in fact, fear the Lord. They feared the Lord because they listened to God's commandment. 
You see that in verse 20, that whoever feared the word of the Lord among the servants of Pharaoh hurried his slaves and his livestock into the houses. So here, on the outward appearance, the Pharaoh says all the right words, but Moses is able to see that he did not heed the word. It is much easier to heed the word. And listen. Now when we think about fear, we often think about being scared of something. And when we then speak about the fear of the Lord, we have some misguided understanding or view of what this actually means. In a simplified form, that you have two types of fears. And the first is one that is over-exaggerated. We might call this hyper-fear. You can have someone who is petrified or afraid of anything that is, has more than four legs. Even the sight of an insect yards away is enough for them to be able to crumble. This is what we would often add the word phobia to the end of words. And this is not what we're talking about when we're talking about the fear of the Lord, that it's over-exaggerated. That often in those times that people just have a feeling within themselves, they do not like what they see. There's no logical explanation to be able to understand that that bug is 100 yards away and does not jump 101 yards. But yet that fear is gripping to them. And so that's how we think the fear of the Lord is with the Lord. We do not fully grasp and comprehend the knowledge of who God is. But the second aspect of fear is what we would call a healthy fear. Two people can be afraid of the same thing, of heights. One, the hyper-fear is crippling. Petrified of going anything above one story high. But you can have a healthy fear of heights, where you understand and respect that heights could lead to death. If you walk on top of a roof and you fall, you could plummet to your death. And when we speak about the fear of the Lord, we're not speaking of that hyper-fear of petrified. We have a healthy understanding of who He is. The psalmist explains, like the author of Proverbs, that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. All those who practice it have a good understanding that His praise endures forever. That as we fear the Lord, that fearing the Lord is something that we must practice exercise that we should have that is the beginning of knowledge. Jesus explains that in Luke chapter 12 that we should not fear the person who kills the body, but yet we should fear God. He says in verse 5, But I, I warn you whom to fear. Fear him who, after he has killed, has authority to cast into hell. Yes. I tell you, fear him. Now, a healthy fear understands that God is almighty, all-powerful, all-knowing, ever-present, holy, just, and true. And one day will come to be able to judge all mankind. 
But what happens is we move into that hyper-fear, that exaggerated fear of God, and what is often used as motivation in in uh, hyper-religious fundamental households is they speak of this hyper-fear to be able to get a certain behavior out of this person. And what they normally do is they look and hone in on one aspect of the Lord and they seek to be able to separate other attributes of God. But yet God is simple, and what we mean by that is that He's not complex in parts. You cannot divide God out and say, well, this portion is His goodness and this portion is His holiness, that He is one. He is simple. There's no parts or passions We have a body and we have parts. And when we begin to fully grasp and understand who God is, then we move from that hyper-fear of petrified of the judgment that might be coming, that we come to God with full awe and reverence. But we can come to Him. In The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe by C.S. Lewis, Mr. Beaver is telling the children about Aslan. They've never met him, and Mr. Beaver explains that Aslan is a lion. The lion. The great lion. And Susan responds and said, oh, I thought he was a man. Is he safe? I shall feel rather nervous about meeting a lion. Safe, says Mr. Beaver. Who said anything about being safe? Of course he isn't safe. But he is good. He is the king, I tell you. And a healthy fear understands God. Understands all the things that we mentioned before. But also that he is gracious, that he is merciful, he is loving, he is filled with goodness. Hence, there's a shift and a change. When we have fear of hyper-exaggeration, Adam runs and hides from God because of his fear and his shame. He doesn't understand God, that he is merciful and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love. Hence, we obey his commandments, not out of fear of destruction, but out of a healthy understanding of who God is. The all-powerful God who has given us commandments to be able to walk in His Word, in His world, to be able to glorify and enjoy Him forever. If Pharaoh has no concept of this fear of God, he does not fear the Lord. The midwives earlier in Exodus feared, Pharaoh, feared the Lord over Pharaoh. They took on the principle of what Jesus would rather explain in Luke chapter 12, that they feared the Lord more than the person who could destroy their body. That they sought to be able to obey God's word and his ways more than Pharaoh's word and ways. They understood, as Jesus explains around the context of fearing the Lord, 
Though the Lord cares for the sparrow who is sold for 40% of a penny. But much more does He care for us. And Pharaoh doesn't fear the Lord. He might have feared the repercussions of the plagues, but he does not fear God. The second aspect that we can learn from this about this false repentance is not only there's no fear, but there's also no fruit. Although Pharaoh uses all the right words in his repentance, he doesn't really mean it. Although this passage is longer than all the other signs and wonders, it ends the exact same way. In verse 34 and 35, Moses writes, But when Pharaoh saw the rain and the hail and the thunder had ceased, he sinned yet again and hardened his heart, he and his servants. So the heart of Pharaoh was hardened, and he did not let the people of Israel go, just as the Lord had spoken through Moses. He had stated his sin He had stated his rebellion and promised to be able to let the people go, but when time came, his stubborn heart was greater than his foolish promise. That is not to say when we repent that we never go back and actually sin again. But this shows the problem of Pharaoh's heart. That he is moved by his own desires and greed. He is ruled by his sinful heart and not ruled by the Lord. The true repentance brings forth true tears. The depths of despair that we have. How often, men and women, boys and girls, do we live like this? We say the word sorry with the mouth, but there's no sorry in our hearts. They say sorry, but they don't finish the rest of their sentence. Sorry that we got caught. Sorry that have to be punished. Like King Saul, who is sorry that the kingdom is torn from his hand, but he's not sorry about not listening to the word of the Lord. Or the sorrow of Judas. He merely just sought to be able to undo what he did. I took 30 pieces, I'll give 30 pieces back. There's no true grief for his action. The prodigal son, the second, the older son, who did not leave but he stayed, he was sorry. He was sorrowful. He was sorry that he didn't get a calf to be able to celebrate with his friends. He wasn't sorry for the way he treated his father, not sorry for the way that he understood the blessings that the father had given to him. And we use all these, don't we? Often we have that moment of short-lived grief in our lives about our sin. But if we're truly honest, are we truly broken to our heart about the sin and the folly which lives within? Do we truly understand the depths of our despair, that sin is what put Christ on the cross, that sin is what separates man from God, 
And when we sin against those in which we love, we cry out and we say, sorry. But do we truly mean it in the depths of our heart? Sin, which is constant rebellion against God, the maker of heaven and earth, the one who formed us in our mother's womb, who who blesses us with breath in our lungs. The one who made us, takes care of us, died for us. There is no such thing as a small sin. And every sin should break us and bring us to our knees with tears in our eyes that we have rebelled against God, the one who has saved us. That every sin deserves the wrath and curse of God. The Pharaoh, the king, stated that he was sorry, but truly did not mean it with no fear and no fruit. But listen to the confession of another king, King David. After doing the grievous and horrible sins of stealing and sleeping with Bathsheba, the wife of Uriah the Hittite, and then murdering Uriah the Hittite, when he is confronted by Nathan the prophet, cries out in Psalm 51, Purge me with hyssop and I shall be clean. Wash me, and I shall be whiter than snow. Let me hear joy and gladness. Let my bones that you have broken rejoice. Hide your face from my sins and blot out all of my iniquities. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Cast me not away from your presence, and take not your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation. Uphold me with a willing spirit. Your David is able to be able to go to the Lord. He realizes the depths of his despair. Purge me. Cleanse me. Wash me. Don't cast me out of your presence. He understands what sin is, but he also understands who God is. Be merciful to me, O God. He understands that God is merciful and gracious. Adam and Eve ran from God. They feared God, but yet they did not comprehend who God was. And is. And will be. We run not from God. We run to God because we understand who He is. The King David was not merely seeking some form of band-aid, but major surgery. We'll understand more of this purging of hyssop in the Passover, but merely it's not some washing your hands before dinner situation. This is, I am a dirty inside and out. The healthy fear of the Lord. That David walks into the hospital for sinners and says, send me straight to surgery. I need a new heart. I need to be washed. I need to be cleansed. I need to be sanctified. Do we have this response to our sin? Or do we merely just out of regular habit, forgive me, sorry? Do we hate our sin within our heart? Do we seek that day where our hearts would be free of that cancer of sin that we have inherited from Adam that is finally removed from our body? 
then nothing will be tainted anymore. Do we pray, create in me a clean heart? Do we pray that the old man would die and the new man that looks more like Christ, our elder brother, would shine forth? We tend to think that these signs and wonders in the book of Exodus are merely just a -a once-in-a-lifetime event. That's not what the Bible teaches. The Bible actually warns us in the book of Revelation. You can go and have a look at it this afternoon in your own time, but don't have time to be able to study these connections in death, but in Revelation chapter 16, John sees the angels pour out these seven bowls of wrath these on the earth. And even just reading through them, you can see the connection to the signs and wonders in Exodus. The first bowl is painful boils and sores. The second, the sea is turned to blood and everything in, in it dies. The third is poured out in the rivers and the springs is turned to blood. The fourth is poured out the sun and scorches people. The fifth, the kingdom of the beast is plunged into darkness. The sixth, the river Euphrates is dried out. And out of the river comes demonic spirit like frogs. And the seventh and final bowl of wrath is poured out. And it is exactly like the seventh plague that we just read about in the book of Exodus. There are great earthquakes, lightning, great hailstones. 100 pounds each. And twice throughout this chapter, in in chapter 16, there's a reminder what happened to Pharaoh in the book of Exodus. They see the signs and wonders, but yet they do not repent. Do we behold all of God's glory, read about all of what God has done, and yet not repent? Do we not fall to our knees once we fully grasp and comprehend who God is? We worship the Lord with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength. There's a hopeful part in this passage. As Moses explains, that he does not, Pharaoh does not fear the Lord. There's hope. Moses responds and and says in verse 30, I know that you do not yet fear the Lord. There's still hope. We know how it ends with Pharaoh, but there's still hope for us to be able to fall to our knees. We do not know when tomorrow will be the last tomorrow. We do not know when that day, when God's wrath and punishment will be poured upon us. The chance to repent is today. What must we do to believe, to inherit this eternal life? Repent, is the word of the apostle Peter. We must repent. Heed every chance a moment to hate the sin and turn to the cross, to turn to Christ, the one who died for that sin. Let us do that and let us walk in that daily. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Let us pray. O gracious and most merciful Father, we give you thanks and praise that as we read of the stories which you have recorded of old, Lord, we see of your great wonders and your signs, your patience, but also, Lord, a great warning for us to be able to listen and heed your words. Help us, Lord, to be able to fear you above all.
and Lord, to be able to have the fruit of faith in our lives. Change our hearts that we might be made new, that we might be able to glorify and enjoy you forever. We pray this in Christ's holy and blessed name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this sermon from Seven Springs Presbyterian Church. If you want to learn more about us, please find us on Facebook or visit us at sevenspringspresbyterian.com. Seven Springs Presbyterian Church began in 1874 and is a congregation of the Presbyterian Church in America located in Glade Spring, Virginia. Please join us for worship on Sunday at 10 a.m. and 6 p.m. for His glory and His gospel.